ministry, apostolic reform, uh, these hubs, these apostolic centers that God is raising up in this hour, and then we will um, take some questions if time permits at the end. Um, so one of the things that I want to start off with is this, is to understand, and we were having this discussion in the back room about uh, carrying a prophetic spirit. We talked yesterday about the fact that fl- functioning prophetically is not evidence of a prophet's office. In other words, the Bible says that all may prophesy. Uh, So the whole body, the whole uh, children of God can become prophetic, that we begin to hear and see and know. But that's a different calling or a different operation than functioning in the office of the prophet. Now, one of the things that's happening, I believe, in this hour is God is releasing a prophetic mantle upon the body. There's a bit of a course correction happening where uh, we've gone in a direction for so long that we've abandoned some New Testament foundations and God is bringing us back to the the central uh, focus and theme of the New Testament. God is bringing us back to being an apostolic, uh, prophetic, empowered group of people that have the full five streams of God flowing in our midst. And so there's a real release of apostolic mantles. And that's really what should happen. These apostolic centers, these apostolic hubs should be places that sows into the hearts of people an apostolic identity. The word apostle means a sent one. So when you become apostolic, you're being sent. We read the book of Acts. How many love the miracles in the book of Acts? And the the book of Acts, it doesn't say the Acts of the Evangelists. You know, I used to read the, the book of Acts for years and think, well, it's wonderful. The evangelism that took place in the book of Acts, these guys were on the streets healing people. They were out ministering to people. It's wonderful the evangelism that took place. But actually it wasn't recorded that it was the book of of the evangelists. But it was the acts of the apostles that this was a whole generation of people that understood that the DNA they carried was a sent DNA, that they were sent on assignment. And they went through towns and cities and villages and awoke the destiny and the purpose of God. There was a prophetic revelation that this region, this territory is called to something more. And they woke that up in people. And then they cast the mantle of the apostolic on them to say there is a dominion upon you. There is a sending mandate upon you to begin to come alive as the sons and the daughters of the Most High God and rule and reign by kingdom authority. So when they confronted demon powers, they did it as the sent ones. Sent what? Well, Luke 9, 1 and verse uh, verse 1 and 2 says that they were sent with all power and all authority. God never sends you somewhere that he doesn't mantle you for it, that he doesn't authorize you for it. And one of the transitions that we're in, one of the reforms that we're in is we're moving from a place of having a healing meeting having a prophetic meeting to being a people that are sent that are mantled that are authorized that are empowered to do the work of the holy spirit to have the revival that god wants to bring in this hour in these days we've got to be an apostolic people a sent people and so god is raising up a release of an apostolic mantle upon his people that we begin to live like the book of Acts. And God's raising up these centers. You know, I was having a conversation uh, with somebody. I'm having on June, I think it's the 7th, a phone, a free telephone seminar where we're going to be talking about revival hubs and apostolic centers. And I was talking to this young man in Kentucky. And he went and planted a church. 
And out of that church now, there's five churches that have sprung up. And he says, we have no idea what we're doing, but we just know God has sent us. And I believe this is what's happening in this hour. There's great exploits that are being unlocked as we just take the hand of the Holy Spirit and begin to move in what God has for this hour. And so God is raising up these places that are embracing an apostolic identity and an apostolic wineskin, amen? And so I want to dive into that. I want to start by saying this, that there are some pillars of the apostolic ministry, and I'm going to weave back and forth, and we'll probably cover this ground from two or three different angles, but I want to give you a handful of just these are foundational things in apostolic ministry. So when we say this, that you can have an apostolic spirit without being an apostle, this simply means that you are sent So every pastor needs to have an apostolic spirit. Every teacher needs to have an apostolic spirit. Every member of the local expression needs to have an apostolic spirit. This is what's crippling the power of God is we have a church spirit on us. That we go to church and we vote in the pastor and vote out the pastor. And we argue over the seating arrangement. We argue over the song list. And we don't go places. You know, I was talking to this one lady and she, she, she got radically healed. In a spirit-filled church and radically delivered and then went back to a non-spirit-filled church. And I said, you know, what's going on with you? And she said, well, my little five-year-old child likes the nursery better over at this place. And I thought, my God, you're going to give up your inheritance. Because you're allowing a five-year-old child to dictate to you where you're going to plant your family. See, when you've been sent somewhere, you can't just decide to not be there anymore. And God is releasing, I believe, a real apostolic mantle. We've had a church spirit on us so long that our whole folks has been just get to church. Just be nice. And we've got communities that are not bowing to the authority of Jesus because we just got nice Christians. Just go to nice Sunday morning church and nice gatherings. Sing powerless songs and pray powerless prayers and preach powerless messages. And meanwhile, the destiny of the city hangs in the balance. I believe God's inviting a generation to be sent. God's inviting a generation to discover the wonderful power and authority that comes under an apostolic mantle. Amen. I believe there are many leaders here today that God is placing before you today a choice. You going to do things the way it's always been done, or are you going to embrace the possibilities of pioneering? And so there are some pillars that I want to talk about. Number one is the pillar of revelation. And we're going to teach on that a little bit more if time permits us to. But but apostolic ministry is revelatory ministry, that God mantles apostolic people with revelation. God speaks, you know, many times in the charismatic movement, we have encounters and experiences with God that we can't explain. That's a weakness. We need to be able to at least identify from the word of God that this is the foundation. I'm not saying that you're going to be able to understand everything. There are things that the apostles encountered in the New Testament. They didn't understand. They didn't have a grid for it. When God takes you into new realms and new levels, not the choice of a grid. But what I'm saying is like we have people out there that say, well, why do you speak in tongues? And we can't explain that to them. We know the experience that we have. But we can't share with them the real reason where if we could open up the well of the word of God and share with them the real reason, uh, we, we could touch them with the revelation that they'd want to come into. And so revelation is one pillar of the apostolic. God wants to bring a strong doctrine, strong teaching. You read the writings of the apostle Paul. He wrote to the Galatians, oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? One of the things that apostles do is they judge doctrine. They judge fundamental belief systems. 
Why? Because Ephesians 2.20 says that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. I have a whole teaching on foundations. I believe one of the things that apostolic leaders do is they deal with foundations. doesn't matter if you hang the most beautiful chandeliers in the world. If the foundation's wrong, it's not going to work. We have a lot of people that are leading ministries. They have a strong apostolic calling, but the ministry's built on a pastoral foundation. And so they keep banging their head against the wall and getting frustrated and burnt out. And they think something's wrong with me. No, nothing's wrong with you. You just are building on the wrong foundation. And so you can't build on a foundation of sand and have a benefit of something being built on solid concrete. You've got to pick up and you've got to move and you've got to go somewhere. That's one of the things apostolic people have to be daringly obedient people. They have to be willing to pack up and move if God says move. They've got to be willing to do what God says do. They've got to be willing to embrace the season of God. One of the things that happens to people in revival is they get stuck in the past move. And they can't receive the current move because they're stuck in the past move. And they're offended because you're not singing the songs from the past move. They're upset because the prayer line looks different. They're upset because the preaching looks different. There are going to be many moves of the Holy Spirit in these days. And you can't camp out on the last move. You know, one of the best words the Lord gave me is the Lord said, Ryan, I'm going to ask you to swim in different streams. And he said, you're going to swim in streams that you don't particularly like. You're going to run with people you don't particularly agree with. But there's beauty in diversity. See, religious people camp out somewhere and refuse to move. And so we've got to be progressive. Apostolic people are progressive people. And we've got to have right foundations. Apostles and prophets are foundational. They deal with foundations. Many times I see people trying to build something and they can't get the building to go well because the foundation is wrong. And that deals with alignments. You're aligned with the wrong people in the wrong place. Your foundation's off. You know, I began to see this in revival. I began to see a lot of uh, kind of just normal churches that saw that God was doing something in the area of revival. So they started hiring revivalists. I have a person that I know that he's kind of the revival pastor at his church. And you go and preach there. And on Sunday morning, it's completely different atmosphere. There's no Holy Ghost. There's no move. And you got a whole group of people on one side of the building that are burning for a revival. They sound different. They look different. They act different. And then everybody else is in a traditional wineskin. And, you know, the Lord said to me, he said, you can't revival. It's not a program. You can't have a church that's built on a familiar foundation of soulish thoughts and just hire a revival pastor and say, well, you do the revival meeting on Friday night. It won't work. Why? Because those people will start to burn and they'll no longer want to eat dead, dry religious meals. They'll want to have fiery bread cooked in the oven of revival and intimacy given to them. Amen. And so many of these hubs and many of these centers are being established in regions and territories to speak to the heart of the city. Now, that's a different calling. The calling of a church is to speak to the hearts of people. The calling of a hub or a center is to speak to the heart of a city. This means sometimes people aren't going to like what you're doing because what you're doing is not always about the people. And we've learned to build churches based on the preference and personalities of people. And we've become very good at that, but we don't speak enough to cities and regions. So one of the pillars of absolute ministry is revelation. God wants to mantle his bride with revelation. Another one is demonstration or miracles. You won't find the Apostle Paul preaching without demonstration. In fact, he said to the Corinthians, when I came to you, I demonstrated the gospel. 
When we teach on the prophetic, we should prophesy. There are so many people, they teach on things they can't do. Well, I believe, you know, in the Holy Spirit. Oh, do you ever get them unfilled? Well, no, we don't do that here. It upsets people. Well, I believe in miracles. So what's the last miracle you saw? Well, I remember 10 years ago, this lady got out of a wheelchair. Well, that's fantastic. But what happened last week? There's got to be demonstration. I believe the apostolic uh, ministry is one of miracles. Another pillar is sons and daughters or family. Apostles are called to establish spiritual families. Another one is the impartation. Paul talking to the church at Rome says in Romans 1.11, I long to see you so I can preach my favorite message to you. So I can quote to you from my best-selling book. Somebody said, I long to see you to impart or release a spiritual gift. One of the marks of apostolic ministry is it opens up a flow. And there's a wonderful flow of impartation. That a testimony that came in that someone got prayer for prophetic activation yesterday. And had a whole bunch of prophetic dreams. I was saying I was in a conference with uh, Dutch Sheets and Jennifer LeClaire and Ken Malone in Florida. And I had like three prophetic dreams while I was down there. And a whole bunch of prophetic downloads. I still have and not even processed them. I had so many of them. I said, what is this? The Lord said, you get in the right company of people and activates what's on the inside of you. But see, I had a prophetic dream about Dutch and Jennifer and Ken. Uh, we were out in the West, and they, were, they had gotten an SUV, and they, there was a, a river. And it's funny because the dream I had, someone handed me a book by Chuck Pierce, and the cover of the book looked like the dream that I had. The artwork on the book was like the dream I had. But I had this dream, and, and Dutch and Jennifer and them were in an SUV, and I was on a bicycle. And I was able to ride alongside their SUV, but then we came to a place uh, like a big lake, and a crystal city rose up out of the lake, and a bridge appeared. And they were able to drive out and get on the bridge and go into this city, and this city was filled with gold, and I couldn't get there with my bicycle. And I told Jennifer, I said, the Lord has shown me that the alignment the three of you have is causing you to see things I'm not seeing. So what happened? I started to align myself with them. And guess what? I started seeing things I wasn't seeing. See, there's a realm of impartation in the apostolic that it unlocks things in people. You get an apostolic atmosphere, your identity comes alive. It's not even a sermon that's preached, not even a, a, a laying on of hands. Those things happen, but it's in the atmosphere. That in the apostolic atmosphere, there's impartation. Something starts to rub off on you. Something starts to be broken loose in you. Something starts to be released in you. It's like somebody turns a switch on on the inside of you. And it's one of the pillars of apostolic ministry. I know an apostle uh, in Florida that he would have guest speakers and he would not let anybody come preach for him. Without doing an impartation line. And he said, you know what? When I do an impartation line, I get in the line because I want the people in my ministry to see that I'm as hungry for impartation as they need to be. So impartation is one of the pillars. There's supernatural release of ability that comes. You see this in the life of Paul. Paul connects with Timothy and Timothy's a young disciple. And Timothy becomes an emerging apostle. Everywhere Paul goes, you read his letters, he's constantly writing to men and women that are being born of the Spirit for such a time as this and doing great exploits because of their alignment with him. What was that? Impartation. You get under the spout where the glory is coming out and it's going to flow over you. And whether you like it or not, you may not like it. It's just the reality that there's a realm of impartation that comes. Another thing is prayer. 
There has to be a strong intercession base in apostolic ministry. If there's not, what's going to happen is the enemy's going to come in there and the enemy's going to just divide things up because that's what the enemy loves to do. He likes to bring division. And apostolic exploits are pioneering exploits. They're exploits that are tearing things down and building things up. And there has to be real strong intercession. Amen. Now, I want to talk to you. The Lord said to me one day, he said, Ryan, a single apostle cannot go to a region and transform the region. He said, there has to be apostolic companies. I want to talk to you. We gave the word of the Lord about Perth, that Perth was called to be an outpost. That it was called to be an apostolic hub, a revival hub. We began to see ministries coming in, going out. We began to see divine activations. We preached this the first time. If the Lord lets me tonight, I'm going to release the word that God gave me for Australia, which is a very uh, revelatory word for the land. But we shared the first night about Perth, and we shared that it's going to take on an apostolic mantle. That's the will of the Lord. Now, it's up to you whether or not the region takes on the mantle. See, that's another thing apostolic leaders have to do. They have to learn when to shake the dust off. You know, I was doing a meeting one time, and this lady was saying, well, we just keep trying to get this city to bend. We keep trying to get this city to move. I asked Pastor Kilpatrick one time, he said, what do you do? If you're in a territory where people don't receive you, he said, you have to ask yourself, are you an eagle that's in a nest of a swallow? Sometimes you've got to fly out and get in a bigger nest. I had this encounter. There was a certain assignment regionally that I was involved in. And one day, I just had this very simple vision. It was like a candy wrapper that had opened up and was discarded on the floor. And when I picked up and looked at it, it said expired. And the Lord said to me, your assignment in that area has expired. And if you keep on, it's going to be like eating rotten food. See, a lot of times you have to shake the dust off and understand there's a group over here that doesn't want the move of God, but there's a group over here that wants the move of God. And you're stuck over here with these people that are bucking and fighting and contending and arguing and carrying on. And this group over here desperately wants the move of God and they're crying out. As I said this morning, a lot of times it's the right seed in the wrong soil. But if there's a Holy Ghost transplant that you get picked up and put in the right soil, you begin to swim and you begin to flourish and you begin to excel. And God wants to release you into the right soil in this hour. It's critical you don't plant your seed in the wrong soil. So the Lord said to me, he said, I'm going to raise up apostolic companies in this hour. See, the apostolic paradigm is a team paradigm. It's one of the, the, one of the marks of apostolic ministry. It's team ministry. Apostles are called at their highest level to lead and establish spiritual families. Now, an apostolic team is this. I want to talk about teams and companies. A team is a group of ministry gifts and individuals sent forth with a specific mandate and mission. So if we said, listen, we're going to go to New York City and we're going to do a prayer walk for one week. And we were going to take five people with us. That would be an apostolic team. It's like a strike force that's going in on a short-term mission. There's a specific mission. There's a specific assignment. There's a specific anointing for that assignment. And they go forth in that. One of the things that apostles are called to do is establish and develop teams. The apostolic spirit is one that establishes and develops teams. Maybe multiple teams. Maybe multiple locations even. One way to view the difference between teams... And companies is this. The team is like the tip of the spear. When you see a spear being released, the team is the tip of that spear. 
It goes in for a very specific mission, a very specific strike. It's a short-term kind of thing. But a company is the full spear that lodges deep into the ground to bring lasting results. And an apostolic church, an apostolic ministry, an apostolic hub, an apostolic center, an apostolic base has got to form an apostolic company in that particular region. You need a whole group of gifted individuals that burn for the mandate of that region and they see it, they get it, and they're willing to pay a price to walk it out. And that's what apostles have to do. They have to pour themselves out by way of impartation by Romans 1.11 into an apostolic company of sons and daughters that take on a spirit that they are sent to that region. They're willing to slay the demons there. They're willing to fight the fight there. They're willing to push. They're willing to prophesy. They're willing to pray. They're not just nice Sunday morning church members showing up to get blessed. This is the problem. Well, I'm not getting blessed anymore. I'm going to go down the road. When you are born into a family, you don't just all of a sudden lose that DNA. Why do we have so many people in the body without any kind of real authority? I believe one reason is they don't have an inheritance. I ask people when they tell me how big their calling is, I say, who are you linked up with? And how long have you been linked up? If I find people that, you know, they have five different spiritual mothers and fathers in each Duration has been about a year. I know that there's a problem there. They're not allowing the Holy Spirit to mold them. And I believe these apostolic companies are very, very important. An apostolic ministry will often appoint various teams for various assignments. But a company is beyond the team. A friend of mine named Greg Crawford, Apostle Greg Crawford, he wrote this, and I want to read it to you. He said, sometimes both an apostolic team and company are needed To bring the shift that is required. The team is made up of those carrying the message by the breath of God. And the company is there to reinforce the message. Generally, the team has seasoned five-fold people that are also seasoned in the message. The company will be those who have been impacted by the message and are possibly future leaders. All apostolic teams are part of the company But not all the company is part of an apostolic team due to overall calling and grace function. In other words, the team, the company is the whole group of sons and daughters that takes on the mantle. But the team is the specific groups of ministry gifts assigned for various assignments. And, and when you put that all together, you've got a transformation of people. This is the biggest difference between a revival hub and a typical church. A revival hub is somewhere that burns for transformation. Now, you don't have transformation without fight because you're asking people to shift their thinking. You're asking people to shift their methodology. You're asking many times to shift the message. What does that spell? That spells being uncomfortable. And people don't like to be uncomfortable. The modern church has on comfort. Nobody is healed being comfortable. No great miracles come being comfortable. And we become masters at building ministries that are one giant comfort zone. When really what the Father wants is places that challenge us and cause us to long for more. So an apostolic company is a group of people that are operating under a united cause and mandate. A company is one that's been knit by the Holy Spirit and operating under the awareness of the mission or the vision. 
One of the marks of an apostle is they're wise master builders. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 3.10. According to the grace given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another's building on. Apostles are builders. Apostolic ministries are building ministries. I have a message on five different things apostles build. They build families. They build revelation. They build paradigms and structures. They are wise master builders. Many of them build media ministries. Why? Because they're studying revelation. They find road for that revelation to travel on. The apostolic is a master builder. Uh, the apostolic spirit is a building spirit. If you get involved with an apostolic ministry, you're not going to be able to just sit there and be comfortable. Maybe down the road at First Church, you were just comfortable for 10 years, but you know what? You were also frustrated. Many times people come into an apostolic ministry and they say they get in there and they like the fruit of it. They like the spirit on it. They like the, the, the DNA. They, they like what I call the BAM anointing, that breaker anointing. They say, we like that. But then when the Holy Spirit challenges them, they say, well, wait a minute. Down in first church, we didn't do it this way. Well, you can't come into the new and drag the old with you. See, you like the fruit of the new. You like the bam of the new. You like that prophetic punch of the new. But when it causes you to get out of the boat and walk on the water and be uncomfortable, now you're longing for the comfort zone God just delivered you out of. That zone where there was no miraculous. That zone where you were not coming alive. That zone where you not be challenged. Friend, I want to tell you that every time God brings you to another level, there will be a measure of fight to get to that level. But apostles are builders. They are fighters. They are warriors. And an apostolic company is willing to war for the destiny and the dream of person. Australia to happen there's going to have to be some people that are willing to be uncomfortable hallelujah there's going to have to be some preachers that are willing to preach uncomfortable messages you know we live in a region that's very quiet religious demons are quiet I live in a region that's very quiet at home I, I, I don't don't get offended but I don't really love preaching to white people that much at home. <laughs> Most of my friends are much darker than I am. And uh, most of my invitations, I'm going to go preach at one of the upcoming leading churches in Chicago, said by a guy about 10 years younger than I am, Apostle Matthew Stevenson, about 1,500 uh, African-American uh, people there that are going to church there every week. And I love, I love the passion in that community. I love the tenacity in that community. And so where I live, people are, tend to be very quiet. And so I walked into our ministry one day. And I said, we're going to change the culture. They said, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to have a dance line up front. When we start worship, we're going to ask the well diggers to come. Now, my worship leader loves to get on her face and just get into deep worship. And I said, I know you love to get into deep worship, but you're going to provoke people with praise. We're going to do loud, aggressive, bold, prophetic worship. We're going to prophesy over the city, and we're going to ask people to dance. And we began to do that. We'd say all the well diggers come forward and just begin to dance. And at first, only a handful would come. Then more started coming. Now it's become something that many of the people look so forward to. Now, if, now we don't always do the fast of the beginning. But whatever we're doing, they come down to the splash zone. They come down to the front. And many people began to get mad. You know, people started manifesting. The religious people in our ministry started getting mad. 
One lady, she was bound with depression, having nightmares all the time. And she said, you know what? I don't want to go here anymore. And we said, why don't you want to go here? And she said, because I feel like they're getting up at the beginning of the service and charging us to dance. Now, she didn't say it to me. If she had said it to me, this is what I would have said to her. I would have said, well, you're the one bound up with nightmares and depression. You should probably be the first one running down the front and dance. You should probably do it over and over and over and over and over again till that depression falls off of you. See, demons align your flesh with their desire for your life. So part of deliverance is saying your flesh, I'm not going to act the way I used to act. You have people that come out of homosexuality. You have men that come out of homosexuality. You have to say, throw the purse away. Don't carry it. It just got quiet. Dear God, come on. <laughs> throw your purse away. Straighten your wrist out. Walk different. Talk different. Why? Because you've got to change that influence of your flesh. Can't just get it out of here and out of here. You've got to let the Holy Spirit change you. And part of that, I was in a tent meeting, and this lady came up and got prayer. She said, I'm really under some attack, and we prayed for her. And God broke it off her. And she came back five minutes later. I said, why are you back? She said, well, I don't feel any better. I went back to my seat, and a voice said to me, you didn't get it. I said, that voice is always going to come to you, ma'am. But James 4, 7 said, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I said, you don't need prayer. I'm going to teach you. Lift your hands up right now and yell at the devil like a rattlesnake. Tell the devil, no, you don't. Not to me, you don't. I bind you. I resist you. I went to preach a demonology seminar with Dr. Hayes. And Monday morning, this woman hit me. She didn't hit me with her fist, but with the spirit she was carrying. She had what I nicknamed the long-tongued devil. I started to pray for her, and her mouth opened like this. And her tongue shot out and began to touch the tip of her chin and wiggle at me like this. So I began taking authority over that. This woman woman did that all week. She gave me a list. I went to so-and-so's ministry and they couldn't get me free. I went over here and they couldn't get me free. Nobody understands the darkness that has me bound. Friday night I was sitting on the platform and her mouth was open and that tongue was going out. And a holy anger erupted in me. And I marched down and stood in front of her and said, I want to ask you a question. She looked at me. How long have you marched around your living room and commanded the power of hell to loose you? How many days have you raised your hands and worshipped Jesus till his presence fills your living room? She looked at me and began to stammer. I said, you can run to every deliverance ministry in the nation. But until you, as a believer, resist the devil. Until you, tell the devil no. Until you aggressively worship God, you will not live in the freedom God has promised you. It is nobody else's responsibility to get you free. It rests on you. Jesus said these words. It is finished. And with that pronouncement, he put the authority in you. We've made a church of crippled babies sucking on a bottle with a pacifier and diarrhea flowing out of their diapers. And we built mega churches because we have the best diaper changing system. And we recycle paralyzed, powerless Christians when we are supposed to be raising up a family of militarized, authorized agents of transformation. 
And this is the call of the hour. Yes, the religious system's going to get mad at you. Yes, you're going to be called flaky, foolish, rebellious. But it's worth it all. Paul was a change agent. When Paul got his call, he didn't run to the religious council. He ran to the desert to encounter God. And then he came and reported, this is what God showed up in the desert with. When God gives you a new paradigm, you're going to pay a price for that. When God gives you a new download, you're going to pay a price for that. We have all these prophets now with Facebook pages. Free prophecies comment here. And I think to myself, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Why is it important for you that people know you're prophetic? Why not just start doing the stuff and let the stuff speak for itself? And so I see these people, many of them are really wonderful, but I meet people all the time that I wouldn't let them touch my dog and pray for my dog, let alone give me a prophetic word. And they have growing following because in the internet world we live in, you you can make it look like anything you want to. And, And sadly, the body of Christ, if you have a discerning spirit, they call you mean. I didn't count the Lord. I was watching the news one day and the media was reporting one thing and the Holy Ghost was saying to me another thing. And all of a sudden I went into a vision and I saw this big chasm and the Holy Ghost said to me, the chasm's about to get longer. I mean, deeper and wider. I said, what do you mean? He said, the chasm's about to grow between those in the body that have a prophetic spirit and those that do not. And he said to me, those that have a prophetic spirit are going to see the spirit behind world affairs. And they're going to properly identify what's happening behind the scenes. And most of the church, because they don't have prophetic discernment, will rise up and attack them and say they're not walking in love. And I believe that's the day that we're living in. But I believe these apostolic centers are to be places of transformation. So we have to relearn the kingdom. You know, the Lord said to me one day, he said, the only reason you're not free, Ryan, is because you're not resisted long enough and strong enough. There's a certain element of faith that just says, this is my promise, and I don't care what the devil says. God sends you to a place. God sends you to a city. That's your promise. And it doesn't matter what the devil says. It doesn't matter if you feel rejected. doesn't matter if you feel like quitting. doesn't matter if you feel like resigning. doesn't matter if you feel unaccepted and like just an absolute idiot. When God sends you somewhere, he has graced you to be there. And you've got to resist those voices that tell you to give up. See, God doesn't want a bunch of cookie-cutter, powerless, plastic preachers that smile and say, My life is great can't stand it. I have a media ministry. We interview a lot of people. I interviewed this one person and said, when did you ever feel like quitting? Oh, never. What's the hardest thing? You ever? I never had a hard time. Jesus has been so wonderful. And I thought, this is not reality. I understand calling those things that be not as though they were. And we can't always give expression to what the enemy's doing. But I believe the world is hungry for authentic people. Sometimes I don't know what I'm doing. Sometimes I don't know if I hit it or I missed it. I just know that I love God and I'll do my best to do whatever he asks me to do. And if it gets messy, if I don't understand it, if I get ridiculed for it, I'm okay with that. Because this one thing I'm doing, I'm pressing. That mark of the prize of the high call, amen? So apostles are wise master builders. Part of the building process, and this is a painful description, is slowly and methodically establishing 
a company of people who will occupy the territory and release the kingdom. See, a company is not just a five-fold group of ministers, but it's a sent people. And this really breaks the religious paradigm that operates on felt needs. You know, we go into the region, we identify, what do people feel like they need? Well, they feel like they need a faster service because they're busy with their lives. Well, they feel like they need to be preached to in sermons that make them happy because they're discouraged. You know, there's such a part of the nature of God that's so encouraging. And I believe we need to encourage people. But we've built a whole church system on encouragement. And people are dying spiritually and they're frustrated and disillusioned and upset. And it's because they're not getting the full gospel. They're only getting one part of it. The Philippian church became an apostolic company concerning giving. Paul said in Philippians 4, you know Philippians, at the first preaching of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. It's not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. I have received everything. I'm full. I have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. They had transitioned from sowing into felt needs to partnering with an apostolic assignment. It was not personally benefiting them that Paul was in Thessalonica. But they were not sowing for personal benefit. An apostolic company doesn't just pray for personal benefit. They don't just show up for personal benefit. See, this is the problem with the church in this hour is we show up for personal benefit. If we feel like the message didn't bless us, we're not going back. If we feel like the prayer time didn't help us, we're not going back. And the whole lens we filter everything the kingdom through is our own lens. I see people that are so disconnected from what God is doing in the hour because they're so caught up in their own drama. They're usually the ones that go, I hate drama. And then all the time, that's all they live in. Why? Because when you're selfish, you live in a lot of drama. And really to serve Jesus and be in the gospel, it's a very selfless act. And they had transitioned, the Philippian church had transitioned. I believe one of the things that apostolic companies do is they come into an alignment with apostolic assignments and mantles. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to bring us into alignment with apostolic assignments and mantles. So where I believe we're at is I believe we're in a season of reform. I want to give you the definition of the word reform. It means to put or change into an improved form or condition. God is changing the ecclesia in this hour. There's a shift from church culture to kingdom culture. We're moving from this thing of, I'll give you some examples. Church culture says, They have a healing meeting once a month. My friend Susie's having back pain. I'll bring her the healing meeting next month. Kingdom culture says, my friend Susie's having back pain. I'm going to lay hands on her and get her healed now. And I'll bring her to my church or my center and give the testimony. Church culture says, I'm having a problem. I better go and get five hours of counseling from pastor to figure out what to do. Now, let me say there is times in life you don't know what to do. The Bible said in the multitude of counsel, there's safety. I believe there's health and good things in counsel. But many people become paralyzed. It's like they're spiritual robots going to life like this. And they can't make any decision without somebody telling them what to do. 
Kingdom culture says, you know what? We've been taught. We've been fed. We've been equipped. I know what to do. I'm a priest. I'm a king. I'm going to begin to put a demand on the government of God in this situation. Kingdom, I mean, church culture says, well, my family really needs a word. You know, I'm going to go to the next meeting they have at church in two weeks from now and see if we get a word. Kingdom culture says, you know what? I'm equipped with the prophetic spirit. I'm going to start praying for my family and see what the Lord says. Again, we're not dishonoring those that carry mantles because there's a grace on those mantles that helps us. But we've got to start manifesting and functioning in the kingdom. That's what an apostolic company does. Manifests and functions in the kingdom. What would it look like if the revival spilled out into the workplace, spilled out into our homes, spilled out into our families? That's what an ecclesia revelation looks like. And so we're not all just stuck in this little world of, well, I don't like the carpet, so I'm going to have to find a new church. We're aligned and our hearts are aligned and we're sent by the Father into that place. Another word for uh, definition of the word reform means to amend or improve by change of form or removal of faults or abuses. This is a real hour of confronting faulty foundations. The Holy Spirit is confronting these things. It means to put an end to an evil by enforcing or introducing a better method. The Holy Spirit is introducing us to reform that we are getting a hold of better methods in this hour. That we are going to steward the move of God and steward the kingdom of God. That apostolic companies are rising in the earth to possess the promises in regions and territories. And we get to do it together as families. See, I believe that God loves the sense of community. But here's the problem. Most communities in this hour are not formed around any purpose. The purpose is to make you feel better. And there's no spirit in that. So you can do community, but what does it look like when community revolves around healing the sick? Community revolves around releasing prophetic words. Community revolves around obtaining the promise. Community revolves around the destiny of a city. Now you're having lunch, but you're not just sitting there going, oh man, you know, I hated that sermon last Sunday. Oh, I did too. He preached one minute over the hour and I got late to the restaurant. Oh, me too. Oh man, did you see they put new chairs up there? I just can't stand it. You know, there's a new church in town. They've got better chairs. I might go there. What does it look like at that same lunch? You say, you know, I prophesied to three people this week. Oh, I got attacked on the first one. But the second one, God showed me their living room was yellow. And when I began to open my mouth, they began to weep. And that lady's coming with me next week to the gathering because she was so touched. Oh, that's great. You know, God gave me a word of knowledge about this person's back. And I prayed and God healed her. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, I was in my prayer journal and God spoke to me about our city. And I'm prophesying this. I took it to our leadership team and they're all prophesying. What does that look like? like see you're still eating food together but now you're gathered around the purpose of the kingdom of god the apostles brought the birthing of a whole group of world changers they were fellowshipping they were breaking bread they were enjoying each other but it wasn't around an empty purpose it was around the kingdom of god and god will let us have fun and enjoy the journey you know some people think you have to be intense all the time well you may burn out if you're intense all the time you know, I have to enjoy it. I mean, sometimes in my meetings, you know, I'm preaching and someone throws up green stuff. And I just say, well, you wouldn't see that in some other place. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> sometimes God moves and it's a four-hour meeting. I enjoy it. Sometimes someone does something funny. I enjoy it. 
Why? Because this is a wonderful journey with the Holy Spirit that we get to take him by the hand or he takes us rather and we walk with him. And we should laugh and we should have a good time. But around a sense of purpose, God's bringing us into a season of reform, I believe. Now, part of this is I believe we've got to enter into the revelatory realms. Apostolic and prophetic leadership must steward the mysteries. We've got to make a concerted effort as the ecclesia to tap into those realms of mysteries. God wants to unlock, I believe, in this hour an increase of understanding, of paradigms, of adjustments, of shifts. We need a daring spirit. We need to be delivered from the fear of man. We need to press, Father, how do you want to do what you're doing in this earth? I believe the Lord wants to unlock revelation to us, revelatory teaching, revelatory organization, revelatory structures, revelatory systems, revelatory wineskins, revelatory paradigms. The Father has got whole revelatory rooms in heaven, and he's inviting his people up. It's got to be one of the real mandates of the apostolic in this hour. We must be willing to travel the path of the unknown. I believe the Lord is saying to us in this hour, we have never been this way before. There is nobody else we can look to. Only him. Let's look at Joshua chapter 3. Thank you, Lord. Joshua 3 verse 1. Joshua rose early in the morning. He and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim to the Jordan. They lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the Lord your God with the priest carrying it, you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of 2,000 cubits. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go. For you have never passed this way before. I believe this is a prophetic charge for God's apostolic prophetic pioneers in this hour. We have never been this way before. But you know what he told them? Follow the ark. The presence is the marker of this hour. Follow the presence of the Lord. That's what's going to lead us. That's what's going to guide us in this emerging move of God and these revival hubs. It's the presence of God. I just feel like there's a massive invitation to create ministries that host His presence. Even if we're teaching, teach in the presence. If we're prophesying, prophesy in the presence. If we're worshiping, worship in the presence. The presence is the marker. By His presence, He will lead us into the unknown. Amen? Thank you, Lord. I believe another thing that God was doing this hour is He's bringing a Reformation apostolic ministry. There's a real breaker anointing upon the apostolic leaders in this hour. There's a real breaker anointing upon the hubs. Micah 2.13 said the breaker goes up before them. They break out through the gate and go out by it. There's a breaker anointing to crush down the walls of opposition. To crush down the mountains. I believe God's releasing apostolic breakers in this hour. We'll talk more about that tonight. But the Lord is loosing a breaker anointing to crush the religious systems. To crush down the opponents in cities and regions that have held back the move of God. And to let God's people go. Amen. I believe God is bringing reformation to the apostolic. Another thing the Lord told me, I kept getting emails and messages from people that would read something I had written or listen to something I shared. And they would say, this just describes what's been going on, on the inside of me. And I said, Father, what is this? And he said, part of the, the assignment of apostolic voices in this hour is to give language to what is being sensed and felt in the spirit realm. He said, many times my people have a sense of directional change, but they don't have a GPS. He said, apostolic leaders open up the supernatural GPS. 
They open up divine revelation. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.1, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 12.7. Revelation brings transformation. To have reformation, we've got to have revelation. God is releasing keys of revelation. Keys. One lady said to me today, how do you get through the door? I said, you need the keys. But there's different keys on different sets. Sometimes God gives you a key of authority. Sometimes God gives you a key of wisdom. Sometimes God gives you a key of alignment. Sometimes God gives you a key of revelation. And you stand at that door you couldn't go through. And you take the revelation God gave you. And you put it in the lock. And you open up the door. And you begin to go through there. Many times when you're moving into a new spiritual level. It's revelation that's going to bring you into that new spiritual level. But revelation will also bring attacks. Look at what Paul went through in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. For this reason to keep me from exalting myself. There was given a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan. To torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. The Greek word there for messenger is the word we get angel from. There was a supernatural demon spirit assigned to Paul because of the revelation. Satan's kingdom was so threatened by the revelation Paul was carrying as an apostolic ambassador in that generation. That they assigned a particular demon just to fight him. Many of you apostolic leaders have been under attack. You've been under fierce attack. And it's an attack against the revelation. Because what God is downloading to you. And what God is giving to you. Holds transformational potential in it. It is a seed of transformation. A seed of reformation. A seed of divine change. It is a catalytic message. That has been authorized from heaven. I see the stamp of heaven. Marking marked on their paid in full. God has given it to you. God has mantled you with it. God has authorized you. And the warfare you are facing right now is against that revelation. Because God is giving you a catalytic message. What do you mean by a catalytic message? A message that releases the winds of change. See, when we preach and teach by revelation, it's catalytic. Brings the winds of change. It sets momentum. It sets motion in order. Abbasal leaders get this, these revelations. They get these downloads to steward in order to bring divine transformation in a people, in a region, and generation. See, uh, the Abbasal is a sent spirit. It sends, it is sent, and it sends. And so an Abbasal anointing has to identify where or to whom am I sent. And then God gives revelation to empower the sending. Now, part of the reform that has to happen is we've got to get the, the, the chokehold of Saul broken off the Abbasalic. You know, we, we, we've had so many uh, people in the apostolic movement that really just wanted to control everybody. Now, I believe in government. I believe in order. I believe in authority. You cannot just have a bunch of renegades together with no kind of authority. What you're going to have is trouble. You won't find anywhere in the scripture that, that heaven is not a free-for-all. Lucifer said one day, I'm going to do my own thing. And God said, guess what? You're kicked out. Some of you would have stood around the throne and argued with the Lord and said, you're not walking in love. Don't you know God loves Lucifer? Don't you know he should get a second chance, but God threw him out. Sometimes there has to be boundaries. Sometimes there has to be order. 
You know, if you read Paul's writings, Paul was very strong at times to bring rebuke if something was coming into the body to damage the whole body. And so there has to be order. It's not just the Holy Spirit free-for-all. We create freedom. Why? Because the Bible said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we also create safety. And there's prophetic process that we process and we learn how do we handle these things. But there have been a lot of apostolic leaders that really had a control issue. And they really maybe started out right, but they ended up like Saul's. And there's, I believe, four signs of a Saul. And we've got to break this chokehold of Saul and the apostolic. We cannot run apostolic ministries as means to just promote ourselves and exalt ourselves. We've got to have purity. We've got to have integrity. God wants these hubs and these centers to be places of authentic kingdom expression. Four signs of a Saul. One, they are irritated by authentic prophetic revelation. Now, not every prophetic utterance that wants to come forth in a group needs to come forth at that time. Sometimes there's a time to hold it. Sometimes there's a time to say this is just not a word for us at this time. But many, many times a Saul gets irritated by real prophetic revelation. Why? Because it starts displacing his control when the word of the Lord begins to go forth. Because one thing the prophetic does is it's, it, it reveals Prophets are essentially revealers. Prophetic people are revealers. So when the word of the Lord goes out, it peels the cover back. Well, Saul's spirit doesn't like that. The next thing is they constrict what they should release. See, a Saul brings a chokehold and starts constricting what needs to be released. God sends sons and daughters to be raised up and released. And Saul just constricts them in a demonic headlock and holds them. And I believe there's got to be a reform in the apostolic that we are leading people. We are fathering people, but we are not constricting them in a way that's unhealthy. This is one of the symptoms of Saul. Thirdly, they are intimidated by the gifting of another because a Saul is typically somebody that's insecure. I believe one of the marks of healthy fathering is that when your kids can kind of outdo you and you're on the sidelines cheering them on, saying, that's fantastic, that's wonderful, that's great. I have a friend of mine, a young man, and it was really drawn to me a couple of years ago, and he was living in East Tennessee, and there was really no, he was kind of really being raised up as a lead prophetic voice, only in maybe his 20s, I think. And um, so he calls me and says, God's speaking me to move to Randy Clark's. And it doesn't make any sense, but I've had all these kind of prophetic revelations, all these things. And I prayed with them and said, you know, you need to just, you need to just do this. This is going to be a life-changing moment for you. And they really didn't want him to leave because he was the prophetic voice in that region that he was in. But he left, and I was at a TV station the day he was leaving that was about 30 minutes from his house. And him and his father came in and brought their moving truck and asked me, would I give them an apostolic father's blessing before he moved? So I released this father's blessing and gave him a prophetic word, which he recorded, and went. And he calls me several months and says, the craziest thing is happening. I said, what's happening? Tell me. He said, there's come open a job position to be one of Randy's right-hand guys, and I'm in first-year Bible college, and I'm being asked to apply for this job. Will you pray about it? And I prayed about it, and the Lord said, tell him to go for it. So I said, you need to go for it. Well, long story short, he got the job. So he's at... Voice of the prophets, however long ago that was. And Randy gets him up in front of all these leading prophets in America and says, there are two young men that God has spoken to me to pour the next year and a half of my life into, and they're going to excel far beyond me in Revelation. And one is this young friend of mine, Justin Allen is his name. 
And so Justin's up on this stage releasing words of knowledge and releasing prophecies. But here's the thing. I know the journey behind it. So I believe that's such a beautiful picture of what God wants to do with today's apostolic leaders that we discern and recognize the gifts of God. Now, here's the difference between apostolic leaders. You know, in the 90s, when the prophetic movement came, prophets were just prophesying gifts all the time. Oh, you've got a prophetic call. You've got an evangelist call. Why? Because prophets are seers and hearers. One of the difference between prophets and apostles is apostles will test the gift. So maybe the prophet comes and goes, oh, I see a prophetic gift in you. But that's not enough for an apostle. An apostle needs to see that you're battle tested. An apostle needs to see that you've got character. I like to say the challenge of the no. If somebody wants to be one of my spiritual sons or daughters, I don't really open up fully to them until I've given them a good no. You know, when there's a meeting where they're, in, they're kind of intensely stirred by the Holy Ghost, and I say to them, no, you can't release that now. That's when you find out what's in somebody. Not when you authorize them and releasing them to do it. But see, apostles will test character. Why? Because they're master builders. Prophet's not a master builder. Prophet is a part of a building company, but apostles are master builders. And they understand you never build on a gift. You build on commitment and character. So Saul constricts, but... In this reform that God's bringing, I believe we're going to have apostles that release. And they're not intimidated by the gifting of another. The fourth thing, a Saul casts javelins at emerging moves in leaders. I have made a social media rule for me, and I've done it with several people that I know personally and that they probably are upset about. But I unfriend and block anybody whose primary voice spiritually is criticism. I have zero tolerance for these people who have a different prophetic word every day, and it's what's wrong with somebody else. And I think until you subject yourself to the same measure of scrutiny you're issuing to everybody else, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I challenge people when they're always releasing critical words about what's wrong with everybody else. I say, why don't you take that same word and press into God and ask God for a potential solution? And then go ahead and release something that is a bit critical, but in that, release a possible solution. That may not even be the right solution, but at least you tried. That's the building nature in me. Is that I, I know you have to tear down, but I can't stand it when that's the only function. And I believe that Saul's will sit on the sidelines. Lou Engle said this way. He said, you always get these people that, that sit on the sidelines and criticize the move of God because they're frustrated that they're not in the middle of the move of God. And these Saul's are always casting javelins at everything. You know, they release five reasons this won't work in. Ten reasons this moves of the devil. Thirteen critical thoughts about this revival. Six warnings about that revival. Now, I believe that apostles have to give warnings. I believe prophets have to give warnings. But if that's the only thing that ever happens is you're warning and criticizing, you have to ask yourself, am I a burnt out, frustrated Saul with a javelin in my hand that is just throwing it at the emerging move of God? Just because it doesn't look the way you think it should look, just because it doesn't sound the way you think it should sound, doesn't mean it's not of God. Thank you for that fantastic response. In this reform, we've got to break the spirit of slavery. God did not call us to build apostolic centers that enslave people, but he called us to build ones that uh, train and release people. Hallelujah. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 4, 17. 1 Corinthians 4, 17. Leaders are called to reproduce or represent. Now, I want to give you some really challenging thoughts here. And they are really challenging thoughts. But I really believe there's some interesting things here. 
Thank you, Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 4, 17. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Historians say that when Paul was unable to make it on his apostolic journey, he wrote a letter and gave it to Timothy and said, I want you to go and read this letter to every one of these churches. I want you to imagine this assignment of Timothy. You're full of the Holy Ghost. You're full of the power of God. You're burning to preach. And you go and you stand in front of one of your spiritual father's churches and say, hold on, ladies and gentlemen. And you open up a letter and your preaching consists of reading those words that Paul wrote. Then you go to the next church and you do it again. Then you go to the next church and you do it again. Some historians believe he may have done it as many as five hundred times Paul said I'm sending Timothy for this one reason he is going to represent me he is going to share the gospel in a way that is in our DNA and in our family now we know from the history of Paul that Paul dearly loved Timothy and encouraged him to express the Holy Spirit in his fullness ranger but he was a spiritual son. Enslaving people. Well, if you serve my network, and if you do this, and if you do that, and you do this, I'll let you do this. But they had something far beyond that. Paul was able to ask Timothy to do the difficult things because Paul had been with them through the difficult season. I believe when people had left Paul and abandoned Paul, Timothy had stood by his side. We need longevity. God wants to, I, I get grieved for these people that they have no real longevity relationally. They don't have people. You know, I have people in my life that I can sit down with and say, remember 20 years ago when God did this? Remember that move of God when God did this thing, God did that? Now, I have had many, many disappointments. People that I thought would be with me forever. You know, it's always a sign to me when I was pastoring, when someone would come and go, oh, I prayed for 20 years for a church like this here. I'm just going to be here forever. I would always go, well, they'll be gone in a month. Because I learned it was usually the quiet ones. It's usually the ones in the back. The, 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 the lady that leads my worship, and she's led worship with us at conferences and everything. I, I mean, sometimes I watch her and just think if the right person finds her, they're going to just snatch her up. But uh, she, she was in the back. She was just serving. I had no idea she could even do what she's doing now. And just there for years and years and years, just a part of the family. And one day we went through this horrible transition where uh, our worship leader had left and was really under attack and we didn't know what we were going to do. And God said, raise her up. Well, we didn't really raise her up. We just put her on the stage. And this angel's voice came out of her and she started prophesying. She's been prophesying ever since. We do meetings together and I'll say, I feel like God wants to heal people. And she'll come down off the stage and she'll sing a prophecy and then I'll speak it. And then she'll sing this one and then I'll speak it. We had a conference, and all these apostles came to our conference, and they all had the same word for, you're going to travel with Ryan everywhere. You're going to travel with Ryan everywhere. So I said to her, well, Annie, we're just going to believe God that God exceeds the budget, and you start traveling everywhere and opening up the word of the Lord. But it's like God's given her a prophetic worship key. But she became a daughter first. See, God's not looking to make more slaves. He's looking to make children, sons and daughters. Abbasalt leaders are called to activate. They're called to impart. They're called to release. Absolute leaders are called to release the revelation in people's hearts of sonship, of identity. Sonship produces a God confidence in your life. 
It produces something in your life that makes you more confident in the ability of God, in the nature of God. And part of this reform is we can't have out-of-salt ministries that just make everybody confident in our ability. We've got to have out-of-salt ministries that produce God confidence in the hearts of people. That a new generation of healing evangelists can rise. A generation of intercessors can rise. A generation of creatives can rise. That people begin to come alive as sons and daughters and realize God's called them. And so we've got to break the spirit of slavery. We're not called to enslave people to our vision and enslave people to do what we want them to do. We are called to create an atmosphere that breeds sonship and releases people into dreams and destinies. Amen. Abbasalt leaders are called to release that revelation. As a son, you are fully established in the truth of God's love, God's covenant, and God's relationship with you. You know, sons and daughters pray different. Their prayer and their intimacy flows from a longing inside of them. Flows from a place that wants to draw near to the Father. They're not praying to earn God's approval. They're not praying to try to beg God to come. But they're praying to just draw closer to Him because they love Him. Thank you, Father God. In Acts 2, said sons and daughters would prophesy. There's the release of a prophetic generation through authentic apostolic ministry. In Ezra, there was a generational move of God when they dedicated the temple. It brought generational revival. God's not interested in leaving anybody behind. He wants to bring generational revival. Amen? The Bible says in the book of Ezra that the young people were shouting for joy and the young people were crying because they were seeing the fulfillment of the promise of God. It's such a beautiful picture. You know, I meet people sometimes, they go, well, this new stuff's just not for me. And I said, well, what do you want to do? You just want to get stagnant and die? I mean, you've got to jump in the river. You know, if, if, if I'm 80 years old and the move of God is going on and I'm here, and maybe I can't stand. I have a little praying mom that's 89 and, you know, she can't stand for an hour and a half when people are dancing. But she'll sit in her chair and just clap her hands and be so happy. Say, I love to see those young people dancing. I don't understand why people choose to check out of the move of God. God wants to raise up a real revelation that he wants a generational move of God. Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, my true son, the reality is this is you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. God wants to raise up a generation of fathers and mothers that reproduce the identity and character of Jesus in other people. We said earlier about Romans 1.11, Paul wasn't longing to teach, but he was longing to pour himself out. One of the marks of these apostolic leaders God's raised up in this hour is they pour themselves out. Doesn't mean that there's not times of rest and times to say no to certain things. I think saying no to things is really uh, proof of the confidence of God in you. That you know sometimes that's not what God's calling me to do. It's beautiful for you, but it's not what God's calling me to do. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 4, 15, he said, For though you have 10,000 instructors, you have not many fathers. See, spiritual fathers make an investment. They get involved. It's messy sometimes. That's what God does in the process of family. The purpose of seed is to invoke the law of the harvest. In Amos 9, 13, it said, The days come when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. Fathers and mothers are being called to plant their children in the ground to produce a generational harvest. Thank you, Father God. In Isaiah 8, 18, it says this. Behold, I and the children the Lord have given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts. God wants to give us a generation of people that move in signs and wonders. A generation of sons and daughters that move in the supernatural. Father, we just thank you for it. We just thank you for these authentic kingdom sinners, these apostolic centers being raised up.
Now, I believe one thing about these apostolic ministries is the power of God will be right in the midst of these. You know, I read about the, in the book of Acts the supernatural power of God, the shock and awe of the Holy Spirit, if you will. And I, I see this apostolic anointing sending to different regions. I see these hubs rising in the book of Acts. And the power of God is there. Diseases are coming out. They take handkerchiefs off the body of Paul and devils come out. Sickness comes out. These apostles were not theologians that just had knowledge. They were people of great spirit power and great spirit influence. And I believe the Father wants to raise those kind of people up again in this hour. Amen? I believe God wants to raise up this awareness Father, I just say do it in the name of Jesus. Just raise up this awareness, Father God. I just thank you, Lord, for just raising it up in the name of Jesus. I thank you for apostolic clarity, Father God. I thank you in the name of Jesus for apostolic understanding, for apostolic expression, Father God. I thank you, Lord. They brought the handkerchiefs, they brought the aprons, and they were healed. There's a five-step pattern I call apostolic advance. The Lord showed me. This is how apostles build. Number one is what I call a divine entrance. They move by a mandate. They go into a territory sent by Holy Spirit, authorized by Holy Spirit to go into that territory. They have a mandate from heaven. Go to that territory. Then the second step is they light a fire. We are called to light the fires of revival. God wants to bring an apostolic spirit and revival in this hour. The book of Acts was a book of revival. A book of the supernatural. A book of signs and wonders and healings and miracles. That's what it should look like. So you light a fire of the Holy Spirit. You move in the power of God. What happens? People gather around that fire. That's step three. You gather a crowd. You build a bonfire. and You gather a crowd. People come to watch the burning. They come. And out of that group, disciples start coming forth. The word disciple comes from the word discipline. And then step four, disciples mature into sons and daughters. And then they're equipped and they're sent. God wants to equip and send people out of the midst of the fire. When you're born in the fire, there's something different about you. Now, I want to give you some differences here between hubs and centers and what I would just call more kind of traditional churches. There are going to be some battles because you're going to take ground from the enemy. This means you're going to face the spirit or spirits that are ruling a territory. And you're going to move in the opposite direction of the comfort zone, the religious comfort zone. So here are some differences. An apostolic center is sent. A typical church or ministry is the result of a split, of strife, or of somebody's idea. Hey, I think it's a good idea to go over here and start this. But an apostolic ministry has been sent. Another difference is this. An apostolic hub exists to bring transformation. Oftentimes, a more traditional, typical church expression strives to make people comfortable. Two different things. Bringing transformation is not always comfortable. Sometimes wild and messy and stretches people. An apostolic ministry preaches and teaches to grow the saints. Releases challenging words and enlightening words to bring spiritual growth. But many times a typical church expression brings the message down to the spiritual condition of the people. So people aren't growing because we're preaching down to them instead of lifting them up by our preaching. I believe the declaration one man said to me, well, when I think of revival, I don't think of preaching. I said, well, then you really have a river with no banks. 
See, it's the word of God that begins to form the banks. You've you got to have preaching and teaching. Now, when the Holy Ghost takes over and starts moving, you let the Holy Ghost take over and move. But you've got to teach, you've got to equip, you've got to train people in order for them to really stick with it in the long haul and make it through the journey. They've got to have revelation. An apostolic ministry preacher teaches to grow the saints. An apostolic ministry tugs people outside of their comfort zone. It pulls them out. It stretches them. The typical church expression strategizes to satisfy the people. The apostolic center or church judges its success by the level of transformation in people and in a region and the fulfillment of that mandate and the release of people into their assignment. The typical traditional church marks success by numbers and size of offering. So you can have 50 people in a building that are radically changing a region, and that's success in an apostolic ministry. You could have 50 people, but out of that, you've cultivated five dynamic ministers that would have never been cultivated in another atmosphere. So you have to adjust your paradigm of success. The apostolic center prays to war, to govern, and to reveal. These are prayers of passion. The typical church often prays quiet prayers of peace and comfort. See, in a religious spirit, there's always quiet. People are so quiet. The worship's quiet. The prayers are quiet. There's a time for contemplative prayer, but there's a time to war and to govern and to bind and to release. Here's the big one. The apostolic ministry releases a new sound. Oh, Lord, send the rain. Amen. We choose to see it as a sign, Lord. It should bring the rains of refreshing and rains of transformation in this region along with the winds of change. So we thank you for the rain. We thank you for the wind. Let it be messy. Let it mess things up, Father. But you got a plan for your people in the middle of the storm of glory. The apostolic ministry releases a new sound. There are new levels of worship coming. There are new levels of prayer coming. There are new levels of proclamation. The apostolic releases the new sound. One of the keys to regional transformation is the sound of the Lord. And the song of the Lord God wants to lift his minstrels up into the throne room. That they begin to sing down from the throne room. You know, I can usually hear people's theology by what they sing. One leader said this way, he said, a lot of churches sing songs from earth to heaven. Other ones sing songs from heaven to earth. Two different things, amen? An apostolic ministry releases a new sound. The typical church surveys the people to see what sounds they like. Go into different regions and you can find out what sounds people like. Well, our people, we started doing prophetic worship and we got this, this report from people. Well, I don't like that. My answer was, you don't like it because you're uncomfortable and God's trying to get you to be uncomfortable. You don't like it because when Annie gets on the floor and sings, there's a healing cloud in this place for 20 minutes, you don't know what to do. And you don't know what to do because you don't pray and worship God at home. Bam. So as long as they sing songs that all the words are up on the screen, you're comfortable. But when they go off script and they're singing something that challenges you and you actually have to personally worship and personally pray, it makes you uncomfortable. But our job is not to create a comfort center, but our job is to create a transformation center where the Holy Spirit is moving and there are realms of worship that are going to unlock things and transform things and shift things and move things. And we need that BAM anointing. We need that breaker spirit 
We need that breaker anointing that begins to pull people. As I've said throughout this conference, I believe there's a divine marriage between uh, the intercession and the worship. I believe God's calling us to create a throne room in the main room. I believe God's calling us to unlock the sounds and the songs of the Lord. He wants to release heaven to earth. He's calling the collision of kingdom with the earth. He's calling an ecclesia center that governs in its worship, that governs in its prayers, and we can't get there by catering to the spirit of religion in our worship. You know, I was preaching in this one church, and like everybody had their skinny jeans and all that. I like skinny jeans, by the way. And they had all that, and they were doing this cute little song that I don't know what it was talking about. It was like something I could hear on the radio. And they got this one point, and almost on cue, they all did this cute little dance, and they were smiling and doing their dance. And I said to myself, my God, they, they practiced that in the back. It's like they said, now we get to this line. Let's all do the dance. And there was no life. There was no anointing in it. We could have been at a concert. I mean, if I'm going to go to a concert, I'd rather hear somebody that's really good. If I'm going to go to your worship service, it looks like a concert. I'd just rather go to the concert. We have a Christian radio station where we live in. It's so filled with stupid, unbelief songs. It's just one dumb song. It's the worst song ever written. It's called, What If the Healing Never Comes? Yeah, it's a dumb American band, the worship band, the worship band that wrote, What If the Healing Never Comes? And they sing about how you could just comfort yourself in Jesus if you die with cancer. Now, I understand some people, the healing doesn't come, but I'm not going to focus on what if the healing doesn't come. So I tell my church, I say, you know what I do? I, I, I turn off that song and I put on the prophetic band Journey and start listening to Don't Stop Believing." Yeah, I'd rather listen to some person that's not saved that they're singing something that actually opens up my spirit instead of some Christian band singing a dumb song filled with unbelief and doubt in the name of Jesus. So new songs and new sounds open up the expression of the kingdom. The prophets of old said, bring me a minstrel. I was staying in this house in Seattle, the worship center there, the revival center. They've been, I don't know, they were in 40 days of revival and I was there, I guess maybe it's, maybe 50 or 60, I don't know. 50, day 55. And one of the, uh, one, this, this graduate from Bethel was there who was going to lead worship. And we were all staying in the same house. And he said, do you mind if I worship? I said, no. So we had our own little worship service. And I said, you know what happens when you worship? It unlocks something in me. So I can get there with my iPad and write things down. Why? Because I'm being unlocked. Your sound is unlocking something in me. And see, we need to create sounds that unlock things in the atmosphere. Amen? Praise the Lord. Did you learn something from that? I could go another hour, but I'm not going to. Uh, let me do questions real quick. If anybody has questions on these, uh, I, I want to say this. If you'll go check out my Facebook, it will be probably morning your time here. But uh, in about a week, we're doing a conference call on apostolic centers and revival hubs. And we've got uh, Ken Malone on there, who's an apostle from Florida. I've got Jennifer LeClaire, my fellow New Breed Revival Network leader. I've got the young guy from Kentucky uh, that started one church, and it's now birthed into five churches. It's very apostolic, very new wineskin. And I don't remember who. Oh, Barbara Yoder from Shekinah uh, in, in Ann Arbor. Barbara, uh, probably the most powerful services I've had in the last couple months were at her place in Ann Arbor. If that had been anywhere else, we would have probably been there for a month. But it's so common in her place that God moves like that. It wasn't out of the normal. Uh, but anyways, you can find that on Facebook, on my Facebook page, and you can sign up and get the code. And even if you can't join it live, if you go and sign up, uh, you can go listen to the recording of it 
afterwards you'll get a code mailed to you, okay? Email. So questions. Anybody have questions? We had some great questions about the prophetic yesterday. Anybody have questions about any of this stuff or anything close to this? No? Yes. Can you elaborate a little more when you say start something? Okay, I think I got it. You know, that's a really tough question because there, there have been uh, moves of God previously where we were very heavy-handed, and that's kind of that Saul chokehold. It's like if you don't get my authority on it, God's not going to bless it. And what I would say is this. A lot of that depends on the motive of your own heart. You know, there are definitely people that are rebels, and they just go out, and they just start things, and they do things, and they won't align with anybody. And so if you've got a group of people that will not align with anybody for any length of time, it speaks to something that's going on with them. At the same time, there are some people that feel like if anything happens in their city and it doesn't flow through their place, it's not of God. And, you know, I was talking to Barbara Yoder about that. And and Barbara, uh, I mean, she's been in this stuff a long time. And she said something so good. She said, Ryan, I think in many ways, she said, you know, I would have Chuck Pierce and Dutch Sheets and people come through my place and they would prophesy about us being gatekeepers. And she said that was so good. But in many ways, I think we misinterpret that because we started to feel like if it wasn't happening through our place, then, then it wasn't happening. And she said, we kind of had to recalibrate that. And I think it's very easy as an apostolic leader because you're so burdened for the area you're in to just almost feel like, well, I'm the set person in this region and not recognize there are other people that may contribute something very differently. So I think the technical answer to my question is, no, you don't have to have that. I would say it would be very helpful to have that. And I'll give you a couple examples. Like, uh, you know, the, I thought it was wonderful in, in San Diego. Uh, this thing broke out with Josh Mills and um, Jeremy Nelson. And so after this thing broke out, James Gall basically released the prophetic word that he had given some time before that about this West Coast rumble. But he publicly released it to say, I'm blessing these young guys. Then they invited Shayon to come down. And Shayon came down and preached it. And, and they really partnered with some apostolic fathers, not because they had to, but because they wanted to. So that, that's what I would say. The technical answer to that question is no, it doesn't have to happen. Could it be a benefit or a help? Quite possibly it could. But then you have to know you're not dealing with a Saul because a Saul's going to come in there and say, well, if this doesn't happen this way, this way, this way. You know, I have one of my spiritual sons. He uh, put up a tent in, in Kentucky and it broke into a revival. This prophet came and preached and, and it's a very odd revival because it was led by a prophet. And it broke into a revival, and people came from all over Kentucky. Well, after that, he rented a building, opened a revival center. The first thing that happened is every pastor in town came to him and told him, you need to make this a church. And so you, gotta, you need to have nursery, you need to have this, you need to have that. And he came to me and said, what do you think? He ended up aligning with me. And I said, well, are you called to have a church? That's the whole question, is are you called to have a church? And he said, no, I feel I'm called to be an evangelist. I said, then the worst thing you could do is try to make this revival center a church. Now, if God sends you somebody that's called to have a church, and this is kind of happening with them, then let them have a church in your building. You be a part of it, but don't make your revival center a church. But see, what happens is people try to change something into the paradigm they know. So just like I would not go to a church and say, well, you have to become an apostolic center. That may not be healthy for them. 
So I think that would be the answer to that. It's, it would be a very healthy thing for you, but it would need to flow out of relationship, and it would need to be somebody that's not coming in and trying to change the uniqueness of what the Holy Spirit's doing. Does that make sense? But, but you know, I, I think in the process of somebody merging into spiritual identity, it's a very healthy thing. Like if somebody says to me, I'm a prophet, and no seasoned prophet has ever said to that person, you're a prophet. It's like the technicality of the question, does that have to happen? No. But if you've been claiming you're a prophet for 10 years and no healthy prophetic ministry will endorse your prophetic ministry, it puts a red flag there. And so the one side of that is some people feel like, you know, everything has to flow through man's hands. And that really empowers a lot of control. The other side of that is you have these rebels that will not align with anybody and they claim offices and things that really it's, it's not the real deal. So I, I think that's kind of my thoughts on that whole subject because it gets deep in the whole thing. But it's a great question. Other questions? Anybody have another question? That's a great one. Thank you. Yes, you have one? Sure. Well, I think the thing is the concern people have, and I have this concern working with ministers, just like I said to him, if I have somebody that won't align with anybody, they won't do relationship with anybody. So I think that, you know, for many, many years in the kingdom of God, the way we've processed relationship is through the local church. And I, I want to say up front, you know, I got saved and got sent wonderfully into a local church, but I didn't know at the time. Really, the church I was attending was a revival hub because it was a part of a global ministry that had four or five arms, and it just so happened one arm was a Sunday gathering. Um, so I, I've always kind of had that relational thing in my life and going on. Um, and so I think people have a concern when they see somebody that looks like they don't want to do community with anybody. But I think one of the challenges that we're having is the labels that we use. So it's like you could be a part of a gathering that meets every Tuesday night. And if you're getting taught the word, if you're having relationship, if, if you've got good leadership there that's helping grow you and, and, and all those sort of things, really in many ways that is a church. We, we kind of use a different label because we're trying to communicate something different to people. It's like I have a lot of people that have these hubs or whatever, and, and, and they get confused what, what labels they should use. And I say, you know, it's a lot less about a label and more about a function. Like we could give out business cards to 10 people that say apostle, but they may not function apostolically at all. And then we could just call someone Bob. This is just Bob. And, and you know, he may be the most profound apostle that's ever walked the face of the earth. It has nothing to do with that titling. The reason why those terms become valuable to us is it defines our expectation. So if we say this is a door and this is a window, like people say to me, well, I just think it's horrific if somebody is titled. And I say, well, you know, do you want to walk through a window? See, like in my mind, if I say, well, you, you know, you're pastor so-and-so and he's an evangelist. Well, if I'm calling him pastor, I'm expecting him to hug me and counsel me and all that kind of stuff. And he has no interest in that. He wants to get me saved. And if I've already been saved, he wants to get me resaved. So I'm calling for a door when he's a window and I'm trying to squeeze myself through this window. So I think that if we're going to use labels and terms, we have to strive to use the right ones. But I think it's a matter of semantics many times. Should you be a part of a community somewhere and have some level of accountability in your life? I think, yes, that's a very healthy thing for you. But you have to find how what that looks like for you. And I don't think it has to look one way or the other. I know that didn't really answer the question fully, but I just think it's a very personal, individual thing. You know, someone saying, well, you have to do this. Yes, you should be a part of a community. 
If you're not a part of a community, it might really create a void in your life. But on the same token, a lot of people are part of communities that are creating voids in their life. They're, they're not really coming to their destiny or coming to their identity at all. So I think you have to figure out what that looks like. And, and, and just in the question you're asking, I don't really think you're a very rebellious person. You wouldn't be asking the question. So you've got to sort out what does that look like. But I would encourage you to be a part of a community, be a part of a community where there's some kind of fivefold ministry leadership that's going to sow into you, that's going to help you, whatever that looks like. Does it have to look one way or the other? No. I, I think it can look like what it looks like. And you'll navigate that, okay, whatever that looks like for you. You're welcome. All right. Uh, It's just hard to answer a question like that because, like, telling someone you have to do this, and I just don't think you have to say you have to do that. You're going to say something or you're just agreeing. Other questions? Was there someone? Yes. You know, it's an interesting question. I mean, a lot of people have said that. We certainly have a scriptural example for that. So, uh, you know, scripturally, we could say yes. I don't. I personally have not had a, a revelation about that. I mean, I've, I've heard people preach that as a marker of revival. Whether I know affirmatively or not, that's definitively going to happen. I can't say. It's in scripture. It, it's certainly an example that we can look at. But I, I don't really personally have like some kind of sense. This is absolutely going to unfold. <laughs> yes, he says you should probably tithe anyway, just to be safe. <laughs> Good thought. Uh, any other? Any other? Yes. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I do. I, I think you know uh, Jennifer Leclerc and I were doing a conference call together, and she was telling the story that so she had been in prophetic ministry over a decade, I would say, written many books, but God led her to align with Dutch Sheets. And she said when that happened, it was like the realm of authority she was walking in favor went off the charts. That's the way she says it. And I believe totally there's that apostolic grace flow. And one thing I find what a lot of people are being challenged with is like they feel they want to be aligned with an apostolic ministry. And maybe where they live, there's not one that that calls out to them. I'll say it that way. And so they feel like, well, I have kids and I have family and I want to go to this church and it's a good church, it's a safe place, it's a good place for me to go, but I'm missing that apostolic. And what I often tell people is, look, you can form that alignment from a distance. So you might align with somebody that you're not seeing every week, but, but, but if they have a channel in which you can form an alignment. You know, a lot of these people have networks and fellowship and things. You could join up with something like that, get in that grace flow, and still have somewhere that you're able to go and, and be a family with. I, I think, you know, we were talking to Chris Volaton, and, and he said something that I just thought was really, really good, and really even and spoke to my own heart. He said, you know, we love all the people that get on Bethel TV and watch Bethel TV, but we always tell people it's not the same as doing life with actual people. And so one of the things I think that happens as we pioneer a lot of these out-of-the-box ministries is that sometimes we kind of get sucked out of doing life with people. And the real reality is it's really hard. It's much more easy to kind of just go from place to place. But but something happens when you're rooted in with people. And I think, you know, God really spoke to me about that. The first book I wrote on the apostolic, I wrote about the power and I wrote about the confrontational nature. And, you know, I was 20 years old when I wrote that book and it was completely a 20-year-old mindset on the apostolic. And now my mindset, it all begins for me with the revelation of fathering. 
and, and that's the whole deal. You know, if you're not willing to cry, if you're not willing to, to confront, if you're not willing to build with somebody, it's not really apostolic. And, and that gets tough. You know, I have two networks that I lead. There's a lot of people on those networks, and it gets really challenging sometimes to give everybody the amount of attention they feel that they want or need or deserve. Um, but we create avenues of connection and relationship. And I think that's so important in being a part of a community. But I 100% believe that you can connect with somebody in an apostolic way and get in that grace flow and be empowered. And, and, and I just think it's one of the healthiest things people can do. And I consistently get uh, people write to me and basically say this. They say, there's no, nothing where I live that's releasing kind of apostolic grace into my life. And my answer to that is, okay, then find something to connect to it. Now, that connection from a distance is probably not going to replace a local community, but it could enhance that relationship. So does that kind of enlighten that? Any other questions? Yes. I think it's like Pastor Brad was saying, it's getting in that grace, getting in that flow. So, you know, to me, the evangelist needs to be releasing evangelistic grace that the body takes on a passion for souls. Now, you're going to have certain people in the body that are just wired for that. You know, they're, they're wired to win souls. And it's like if we say, okay, we're going to go and we're going to walk through this neighborhood and knock on doors and ask people to come to know Jesus. You're going to have some people that, that just completely freak out, but they might be the ones that could walk through that neighborhood and plow the ground in prayer. So I think there, there are different levels of different graces working in people. Some have a higher level of prophetic grace. Others have a higher level, level of pastoral grace. And none of us are cookie cutters. But I do think that with the apostolic, what God wants to do is release kind of that, that grace that we all become sent. That we realize this whole thing is about something bigger than us just getting blessed and feeling good about ourselves. That it's, you know, we, we need that. And that's part of the pastoral to encourage people. But, but we all need that deposit of apostolic grace. So I think it's something, yes, we yearn for. But I think it's something as we come into the maturity of this, it's depositing all of us. And, and I like, you know, when they talk about the fivefold ministry being the hand and the apostle being the thumb, that they can touch all of them. I like that because what that means is really that, you know, the apostle can deposit a bit of teaching, a bit of profit, a bit of evangelism, a bit of all of that in us. So we really get a full flow. That's the picture of the apostolic, I think, is a full flow that we're not... The, the people who tend to be more prophetic, they're permitted to be more prophetic. The people that tend to be more pastoral, they can be more pastoral. But we all get that scent mantle on us that we exist to really see change and transformation in the lives of people. Amen. Well, thank you, guys. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say thank you to Pastor Brad and Lisa and the team here. They've been amazing hosts. They've done a fantastic job, and I just so appreciate them. And thank you to all. Yeah, give them a big hand. And uh, thank you to all of you for your kindness, your love, and your uh, support tonight. I, I'm going to endeavor to kind of release the word about Australia. But uh, Pastor Brad, you come and give that thought and just wrap up. I think as well on that point, yeah. And what you spoke on in terms of building foundation, the apostolic and prophetic. So I think there's something where a paradigm gets built that creates a structure and that when everyone is built upon a, an apostolic foundation, a prophetic foundation, there's just natural frameworks of thinking 
that you naturally walk in every day. So whether you're more prophetic or more evangelistic or more pastoral, you become a, a, a very pastoral in an apostolic mindset or an apostolic framework. And then I think then within that framework, there, there are graces released specifically. So then some will, um, yeah, will, will kind of rise up as being more apostolic and be trained in that and released in that. So uh, I do think it's something that we've lost. It was, it was naturally inherently birthed in the early church and my opinion is kind of around the time of Constantine, 300 years later, everything shifts because it went from being very much a missional, which is, you know, apostolic, you know, the, the, the word is where we get the word mission from, very much like that. And all of a sudden then transitioned into a more empirical, uh, kind of a, a very different framework and structure, which just totally decimated that, uh, that mentality. So part of, part of us coming back and, and really, I guess, releasing the apostolic again releasing the right prophetic to build the foundation is that this new move that we're going to see is it's just going to have a natural framework attached to it so people will just naturally be walking in apostolic ways and prophetic ways and pastoral ways almost without thinking it's kind of like well what else would we do you know and that's the thing with a paradigm we don't think about paradigms we don't think about world we, we operate naturally in them Okay, and so that's and that's sometimes the hardest thing to recognize is what is the paradigm that I'm functioning in. Um, But again, the wise master builder in the apostolic can think paradigmatically really to shift some of those frameworks and to build them up. So the structures there and then, ah, cool, we know what to, to build, you know, as a tiler, you know, when you mark out, you mark out the framework and, you know, I know where things are going. Okay, and then I sort of don't have to think about that anymore because everything's in alignment, you know. And Jesus being the cornerstone, Christ-likeness is the cornerstone. That sets the parameters. There is no, there's no other parameter set besides Jesus himself. So we go off him, and he is the apostle of all apostles, the prophet of all prophets, the evangelist of all evangelists, the pastor, the teacher. He is the fullness of that, which is what, again, the fivefold is building us into. So.